Hello and welcome to Inside the Artist Studio. My name is Sean Davis Newton here with the Cups and Cakes Network. And uh, today on the show, we have Eamon McGrath, one of Canada's hardest working musicians and uh, a good, good friend of the Cups and Cakes Network. Uh, We talk about how he has managed to stay sane during the COVID-19 pandemic by just working his ass off. He has uh, just an incredible backlog material that he's just chomping at the bit to release once this is all uh, over and done with, hopefully soon, cross fingers. And, uh, you know, in the rapid fire, we uh, talk about differences between uh, transit in Edmonton and Toronto. We uh, get a little bit uh, political and uh, we cover uh, what makes a good fit between an opening band and uh, between the main attraction. And there is some foul language in this episode, so if you're not uh, the type of listener who digs that kind of thing, now's your chance to turn back. Uh, And lastly, of course, you can find other episodes of this podcast, as well as other audio, video, and written content over on the Cups and Cakes Network website at cupsandcakespod.com. That's cups, the letter N, cakespod.com. Here's Eamon McGrath. Yeah, my name's Eamon McGrath. I'm a songwriter and author based in Toronto, originally from Edmonton. Uh, and I've I've been on Cups and Cakes many times. Yeah, I was going to say, I think this is now my, my third time talking to you. I, I'm sure Jeff has, has chatted with you as well at some point. Yeah, yeah I feel like I'm a, I'm a veteran at this point. <laughs> Perfect. Well, uh, just to kind of run through the format for folks who maybe haven't listened to the show before, uh, we're going to do a rapid fire section right off the bat, go into uh, kind of your more normal uh, interview type stuff, and then we'll wrap up by uh, playing a track. So uh, without further ado, we'll dive into this rapid fire. Uh, do you prefer a uh, cake or pie? Uh, pie, for sure. Okay. Do you, do you have like a, a favorite kind of pie? I like a good lemon meringue, a good lemon lemon meringue. It's usually just just what the doctor ordered. Is it like a is it like a family thing? Like like did you is is that a baked good that you grew up with or? No, not necessarily. I think there might be some sort of nostalgic element to it, but nothing like that. My nothing. I, I think that my 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 grandma or anything had anything to do with. I, I like. I remember liking it when I was young. There's like a kind of a magical quality to it or something, I guess. Like uh, when you're younger, it's it's hard to like kind of fathom how to make make one. <laughs> so the, the, that you, that like childish curiosity, I think, is something that you sort of remember. Yeah, yeah. Pretty fondly. Yeah, I mean, meringue too just feels like it's just like a big. It's like it's a cl- it's a cloud. Yeah, know? yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, do you prefer tea or coffee? Uh, I'm like an exclusively espresso drinker. Yeah, that's been conditioned uh, into me from just years of touring. Uh, I won't go into detail, but espresso. If you stick to espresso, it just eliminates the uh, constant bathroom breaks <laughs> on 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 the highway. I guess yeah, because you're drinking like smaller amounts that yeah. are just more caffeinated right it's just a very very efficient efficient way to get a good caffeine buzz yeah going yeah best way of waking up in the morning for a long drive yeah that's what i do uh what's the first car you ever owned never owned a vehicle actually okay that's uh uh i've, I've managed to avoid it um i uh i i just I have like a, a fleet of of rental opportunities whenever I tour Canada. Yeah, yeah. And uh and in Europe too, I've I've kind of been able to avoid having to bite the bullet and uh and buy something. I like it's just my my cost uh my 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 personal cost for it when I'm not on the road would just be kind of too much. Yeah. And I can I can write off the rentals. So it's always uh, it's always pretty admirable, I think, particularly folks from Edmonton, just because uh, Edmonton's a horrible city to get around if you don't have a car. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I like I'm I'm fortunate to live in a like Toronto's got a really good, well, not not by any European standards, yeah. but I think by any North North American standards, Toronto's transit system's pretty great. Yeah, uh, the subway's not twenty four hours, but 
you can like the transit system runs 24 hours. So, right. um, I've, you know, like you, there's never really a reason to drive at, at all. I mean, and I think that like it actually becomes more of a hindrance because parking, it becomes just like a, a fucking nightmare and, uh, insurance in this city is really high. Uh, not a ton of gas stations downtown. And so like whenever, like if I'm on a f- film shoot or if we're touring or something, it's like having that vehicle feels like a, it's like a dead weight tied to your ankle. Yeah. So I've been, I've been, uh, I've been able to avoid it. I, I always laugh with transit. Just like I grew up in a pretty small town in Saskatchewan and then I moved to Edmonton. It was like, Oh my God, you can get places on the bus. There's a train. There's a subway here. Yeah. yeah. And then, and then, you know, lived there for a couple of years and you realize it's not very good. And then I moved to Toronto for a while and it was like, oh my God, it's so amazing. And then everybody who lives in Toronto is like, yeah, the fucking TTC sucks. Yeah. 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 After you've lived here, like you just, after you've lived here a while, you realize that it's, that it really needs an overhaul. But I mean, it's, it's, at least it's uh, used by enough people and it's kind of like so supported, I guess, publicly that, that, uh, it's always getting improved. It feels like at least people want it to be better. Whereas I think in Edmonton, I don't just don't really think anyone gives a fuck. Yeah, I I think too it's expensive in Edmonton. Like the fares are, I think it's like three seventy five now for a bus ride. Yeah, man, it's it's like it's more. I think it's more expensive in Edmonton than it is here to take the to take the LRT. And 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 uh, I I just think it's kind of a symptom of this Albertan sort of uh, mindset where like everybody wants things that other cities have but no one wants to fork over the money to pay for them you know (laughs) and like a subway is expensive it costs money and it's like uh but it's that classic conservative mentality of like of like uh not wanting to not wanting to pay the money now but but then fucking over everything by you know the decisions that you make to maybe save a couple bucks in the in the moment end up costing you astronomically more 10 years down the road. Right. Yeah. You know, like Edmonton's Edmonton cannot afford to upkeep the roads in the way that it tries to. And it's just stupid to me that in a Northern city like that, people don't rely on public transportation more. Yeah. And, and it costs Albertans like it costs Albertans so much more than it would be if they just, uh, bit the bullet and, you know, finish the fucking subway. <laughs> but yeah, it's the same as it's like the same with the healthcare system. It's the same sort of thing. If like, I'm not going to get on a big political <laughs> rant here, but I guess I've already done that. But um, it's like in Ontario, if, if, if like basic dentistry was covered by OHIP, the amount of money that it would end up costing the Ontario healthcare system later on is like, I mean, it's laughable. Right. You know, if you just, if you like just paid for the 150 bucks that it costs to get your, teeth cleaned or whatever you wouldn't you'd have heart disease yeah uh cases would plummet later in life and all that but it's the same stupid short-sighted conservative mentality yeah i know there's been a lot of discussion in ed i and i mean we're getting on a super tangent but still uh there's been a lot of discussion in edmonton about like homelessness right as being like the same issue right like of course you should want to house people because it's like compassionate and the right thing to do um but also, you save like a shitload of money because it's cheaper just to give people a house than it is to, um, you know, care for them through thirty others like social safety nets and hospital visits and ambulances and homeless shelters. And well, how about in 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 Toronto right now? The like the amount of money that it costs to evict a tent encampment, right? For example, like the staffing the eviction of a tent encampment is the most embarrassing waste of money you could you could even imagine on a municipal level like that like and and you're literally paying people to do absolutely nothing because evicting a tent encampment does nothing to actually end homelessness at all so you're paying those cops whatever you're paying them to go into a place and disrupt the lives of innocent people and take the semblance the small semblance of well-being that those people have away from them and you're doing it at an exponentially outrageous cost for everybody else it's 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 fucked yeah but that's 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 you know i don't understand that's the way they try to they try to justify it to themselves by you know not not somehow being able to afford uh more substantial or 
justifiable ways of spending money. Yeah. Because they just claim to not have any right now, which is not, which is also not true. Yeah. So. And that was. What was the first car you ever owned? Um. <laughs> well, I mean, it's a lot of, that's a lot, all, a lot of those reasons are why I don't drive. Yeah, yeah, no, that, no, absolutely. You know, I mean, I've, I have a really good friend who's a, been a tour manager of mine for a long time and we work quite closely together. He plays in a band. Um, he is a runner for promoters. He does a lot of, like, he depends on his, on his van for his livelihood. Yeah. And someone like that, it makes perfect sense to to invest in a vehicle like that but you know i don't want to i don't i'm not a runner for promoters i'd rather be on stage setting the show up or whatever yeah but uh what's the weirdest job you have you ever had oh man i've i've had some pretty weird jobs <laughs> i mean being a musician's a pretty fucking weird one <laughs> uh like that's that's an inconceivable way to make a living to some people yeah um you know, uh, you don't really get more, much more of a of an impossible to describe line of work to someone who doesn't do it. Like they, like a person that isn't totally immersed in music or art or whatever in their lives. Like I mean, I, like I take it for granted. Everyone I know in this city, in some way, is like aware or connected to um, the creation. Uh, you know, in production of art on like a, a, a grand enough scale that, you know, it's like, like in the film industry or the music industry in Toronto, it's just like all encompassing. Like everyone I know is connected to that in some way. Right. Right. But uh, I mean, again, with Alberta, if, if, if your whole family, if you come from, you know, like a long line of people that have only ever known oil and gas, you like, you might go to two shows a year. Right. And you, you have no clue what's involved in, making those shows happen. Like to you, it's like the, the, like the amps are just there. Like, Oh, they must just be here. Or you don't even think about it. Like it wouldn't even occur to you to, to like think about how the production aspects of those, of that show occurred or the people involved in, in making the, like building the lighting rig or hanging the lighting rig or yeah. Yeah. Like, it's just not even occurred. It would never occur to you. Yeah. I, I, I know too, just like the way that, uh western canada is because of like the population density and all that stuff uh like i was talking to a friend of mine who had lived in la for a few years and he had brought up like you know uh there's probably more musicians that live in la than there are people that live in alberta um because yeah yeah, yeah. very good way of putting it yeah, and, and I imagine Toronto is similar, right? Like, the density of people who work in the arts or who work in culture, um, just because there are so many people there in the first place, um, uh, yeah, like, uh, it, it makes sense to me, <laughs> yeah, that you can be really immersed in that there. My my girlfriend is, an, like, a, she, she works on set a lot, full-time, and she's uh, an IATSE permit and production designer, and she does it all. And, right. uh, it's, it's her and I are both professional artists essentially. And it's, and it's like, uh, it's really funny how the, the manual labor aspect of it, like the, the non glamorous or the non glitzy aspect of it becomes so normalized to you if you've done it for a long enough time. Yeah. Yeah. You know? So it's like, really the funny thing is that like, you know, framing a house and putting on a show as a person involved in the production side of things is the line is so thin right um it's just that it's like this like alternate universe for people that might not know that there's like a day in day out sort of process to all that stuff yeah yeah for sure so so i mean it's a totally crazy job but it's but i just think it's like it's crazy because the reward is so much better for me than you know just gutting a basement or something like right. i just i'd so much rather put my time and energy into something that ends up sort of contributing something more positive into the world yeah yeah that's that's not that not that a house or a home isn't positive but it's just like on a grand scale pe people's lives end up becoming defined by the art that they love right yeah for sure so for me that's that's what makes this job so insane is that like i i, I clock out and i go home and when i'm done my my work day is over but i still feel like there's like a bit of a lingering effect in all of it right yeah yeah and it's also like a thing where, you know, like, uh, 
because I've done like menial jobs too, and I'm not trying to speak lowly of them. Like everybody's living is valuable, and like I don't criticize what anybody does for a living. But, um, you know, when when you're when you're uh, like think of your favorite band. If you're if you're on the crew for an install, uh, you know, or if like if I go and I play a show to a crowd of hundred people or whatever when the show's over, even though my job's done, I'm still the person that was on stage performing, you know? Right. And the per- yeah. the person that I was like, that I was working for as a crew member or whatever, they're still them. Like, whereas, you know, say you own a, a brewery or whatever, when you leave that place for the day, your like your authority in the world is, is like it, it's limited, right? Like you've, you're only that person in the, in the confines of the people that work for you. But, um, you know, like Bob Dylan is still Bob Dylan. Right. Yeah. Yeah. When, when his show is over, he's still, his actions still had an, an, a huge impact on people and it's not restricted from any, like, you know, the four walls or of a brick and mortar business that, yeah, it's it's really it's more expansive. So that's that's another thing that that I think is is really rewarding about this line of work is that you manage to somehow uh, it, it becomes to like incorporate your whole life, which yeah. is more rewarding too. You know. Well, I think so much of like um, your career and your art when you're a musician is wrapped up in your like actual identity or like your perceived identity, right? To other yeah, hundred percent. Because it's like your it's real experiences that you're writing about. Yeah, yeah. You know, or it's a, it's a real th- emotion that you've reacted to in a way that's going to inspire you to create something. For sure, yeah. Your your job your job and your life are just so intertwined. Whereas whereas, you know, working at a desk job or something, or or like owning a business. Yeah. You know, like, are they they not that they're not either, and not that they're not intertwined. I mean, those people that run restaurants and bars they work around the clock that's not my point but it's like yeah um you know like when they're when they're buying gas they're they're not the boss anymore right yeah you know but like springsteen is always the boss (laughs) (laughs) i guess is the point i'm trying to make but yeah uh what's your favorite uh pit stop on tour um there's a couple places in europe that stand out to me uh, touring touring California and Utah and stuff like that are pretty wild because you uh you 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 pull over to piss or whatever and you're you're standing next to a like a fucking canyon. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. pretty sweet. Um, it's kind of the same with Newfoundland. Newfoundland is just like nonstop, like jaw dropping, like unprecedented, incomparable beauty. Yeah. And like from the minute you get off the plane, like it's like, like I remember uh, the last time I was there in 2019, um, I was touring with Derek Anderson, who's from Edmonton. uh, And our kind of like our driver uh, TM guy, uh, Jordy picked us up and um, took us up through the battery in Signal Hill and like, over the narrows to the, to, uh, what people say, I think is, and this is true. I think, but I forget the name of it, but, uh, the actual point, but it's like the furthest East you can go in continental North America before Greenland or whatever. Gotcha. And we like looked at our, we looked at the time and it was like, we were literally on a flight 15 minutes ago, you know? (laughs) And it was like, then we were just like standing on this peak in the middle of the Atlantic ocean. And I think we saw a whale, you know, and it was like literally like under half an hour. Yeah, we yeah. Were, it, it was like holy fuck, like right off the bat. <laughs> so New- Newfoundland is is crazy for that. Um. Yeah, I mean, I mean, uh, that pretty much takes the cake. BC is good for pit stops. Oh obviously, yeah, drive driving through the Rockies. Yeah. Uh, do you have a favorite local bite to eat there in Toronto? Yeah, I mean, there's a, there's a lot. There's uh, around like within a one kilometer radius of my place. I like uh, there's this Mexican place called Latin World. It's really great. It's really authentic. 
uh, food. And it's kind of a market. Okay, cool. Yeah. It's a really great place. Um, I mean, yeah, even, you know, if you go down Bloor, there's, there's like every, every block has its kind of defining sort of flagship spot. Yeah, yeah. What, what, what part of Toronto are you in? Are you like pretty central? I live, yeah, I live on Bloor and Lansdowne. Um, okay. Yeah. Which, uh, is like, it's, it's relatively, I, I don't want to say re- West, but it's, but it's like, it's, yeah, it's West central Toronto. Yeah. For those yeah. that don't know. Right. I live right on the subway. Um, this is like this whole part of the town, like from uh, like Christie, Ossington, Dufferin, Lansdowne on Bloor is kind of the, uh, like been the, the part of town that I've lived in pretty much give or take a couple months or a year here and there more or less like completely exclusively since I moved here. Gotcha. So, uh, I like to think that I'm kind of one of the freaky neighborhood fix- <laughs> fixtures. <laughs> I guess. How long, how long have you actually lived in Toronto now? Uh, since 2010, 2010 okay. 20, 2009. Yeah. So a long, long time. Yeah. Yeah. A long, a long enough time to not be from, uh, where I was born anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, do you prefer candy chips or chocolate? Uh, I'm not, to be honest, not huge on any of that. Uh, probably chips, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. You know, I think that's the first time that I've gotten somebody who, uh, isn't, isn't big on any of that. Are you, uh, like you try to, you know, remain relatively healthy? <laughs> I mean, yeah, as much as I guess so. I mean, I, I don't need any more sugar. You get enough sugar from craft beer. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, so for sure. I avoid all that stuff. Uh, if you could open for anyone, who would you choose to open for? Um, I would love to tour with uh, with Mark Lanigan. I think that that would be a really like just fitting pairing for an audience to sort of have a better understanding of what I what I'm trying to do. For sure, yeah. I uh, I I have been fortunate to tour with a lot of, um, I don't even know what genre you'd use, but like the, what I guess what people would call like, you know, what do they call it? Fucking lumbercore or whatever, like (laughs) bearded tattooed guys with acoustic guitars. Yeah, sure. I've, I've, I've toured with lots of those bands and, and like, like the hot water music kind of thing. Um, and it's funny because I've actually like, I, I mean, I like hot water music, but like in no way did they ever like change my life or anything. But right. I've just, it's been really, really easy for me to book those shows over the years because I think that um, the the fa- there's some crossover with the fan base. I think that a lot of uh, people just connect with kind of, you know, what would be called like a sort of gruff dude songwriter guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, uh, but I mean, I've I've never really thought that that was what I did. Like, I think that, um, you know, like I, and, and I think that Mark Lanigan is, is a great example of a songwriter that came from punk rock that, you know, has like this really sort of like brutality about him. Yeah. But that is just more musically diverse than, than a lot of the people that come from that camp. And, and I mean, and, and I, I don't, again, I'm not trying to speak critically. It's just something that I've noticed over the years that like. I'll get, I'll get uh, booked with a, with a, an artist or whatever that people are like, Oh, that's a really good fit. And then or as the tour goes on, I'm kind of like, I don't really know if it is. And sometimes, right. sometimes it works out like the, like I remember like, uh, again, and these are, this is like, a, this was an amazing tour. It was great, but we did like a bunch of shows with the dirty nail a couple of years ago. And, um, there was like the audience during the entirety of the set was sort of split in half. Cause the dirty nail and I like, we all love the same music like Husker do and Bob mold. And yeah, like for us, the kind of stuff that we do comes from the same sort of place. Right. But I mean, some audience members completely understood that. And then other audience members like didn't understand why I was on the bill at all. Right. And the ones that did, you know, they were like captivated. It was like one of the best shows they saw all year. Uh, you know, they bought records. Um, they've like, we made fans but then the other ones that maybe 
thought of the Dirty Nil as like a warp tour band. They uh, maybe didn't understand what I was doing at all. Right. Yeah. Um, whereas, you know, from my perspective, it was like the chance to have a really, really diverse and eclectic night of music. Yeah. And I think that Mark Lanigan has really succeeded in, in being a songwriter that's creating really heavy music that is, you know, really like has a totally DIY and independent spirit, but that hasn't had the, the, uh, you know, the threat of being pigeonholed kind of placed on him. Yeah. And he's been, he's been able to make a career sort of paving his own way and not having to, de- to depend on one particular music scene to sort of get the chance to play in front of an audience. And that's, that's what has happened to me in the past. It's like, I've gotten the gigs that I've gotten because they've just been easy to get. Yeah. But they're not necessarily maybe the most like sympathetic audiences to what it is that I'm trying to do. Gotcha. And then that ends up sort of snowballing both positively and negatively because there are people in that in that camp or in that audience that might really look to someone who's pushing the boundaries of what punk rock is or what songwriting is or whatever uh, and find it really inspiring. But then the other people just, they drink their beer and they fucking go home. Right. You know? So... I've been, I've, I've, I feel like I've done a pretty good job of like being able to target the people that are really going to understand it and grow and build something, uh, you know, that I've been able to support myself by doing, but it's been a way more slow process. And, uh, you know, because I haven't had the chance to play with maybe a songwriter, like, like someone like that, like Mark Lanigan, who, who is maybe a little more in line with what I'm trying to do. Right. Yeah. But I mean, you, 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 it's a game you've got to play because, you know, playing is better than not playing. And, um, you know, every band at some point in their career, if they, if they make, if they, if they last long enough as a band is going to have those kind of growing pains, you know, I mean, it's the same thing as like, uh, I don't know if you know a band like Unsane or the Jesus Lizard or something where it's like really, really, really heavy music that in theory would appeal to metalheads, but like a lot of people that love metal just don't understand those bands. Right. And, and in, in the nineties, I think they would have shared a lot of bills with, with, with metal bands or something or like hardcore bands, but that's not at all what they did. And they probably benefited in some way, but, um, either way, you know, there would have been a lot of people at the show that would have just walked out totally confused. Right. Yeah. Similar sort of thing. I'll, I'm gonna do one more rapid fire question, and then I'm probably gonna follow up on that stuff a little bit. Um, but are there any kind of like uh, uh, like up and comers or or uh, bands that you're really excited about that you want to kind of give a shout out to? There's a Toronto-based um, like two-piece experimental. Uh, I mean, I don't even know how you describe this band. They're amazing. They're called Joyful Joyful, but they play kind of like electroacoustic electronic experimental ambient folk music it's two of them uh and they're like phenomenal right uh cormac culkeen's the vocalist and i asked them to to sing on the single that i just released called april uh yeah because it's just it's just mind-blowingly captivating music like they're they're great the two of them so they're joyful joyful's fantastic uh whoopso is a band that i've that I've, that I've, I've, I've like had like a, a incredible amount of passion about since the first time I saw them a few years ago. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I know that they're that we were in kind of a similar situation when the pandemic started because we had like 150 shows or whatever it was fall through overnight. Right. Um, yeah. And I don't really know. I can't speak to Whoopso as to what they're planning right now, but uh, that record they put out. Um, in 2019 warrior down is like one of my favorite records ever. I think yeah. it was like just a masterpiece. Um, so, I mean, I don't know uh, what their activity is going to look like in the next little while, but I hope that they continue playing. Um, yeah. I mean, that's sort of my, my two favorite, uh, favorite artists at the moment. I, I produce a lot of music and I mean, everybody that comes to me, uh, you know, looking for, for, for that kind of work in their songs. I th- I really feel like I end up shaping the music into something that I feel a lot of connection to. So a lot of the artists that I end up working for, uh, 
their their records turn out really good. So <laughs> for I, sure, I just yeah. did I just did a a session with um, this guy Will Dean that records under the name Goodnight Comrade. Uh, Seth Anderson is uh, I've been a, a client of his. Uh, I, sorry, I worked for him a couple of years ago. I did his record We Could Be, which also came out before the pandemic started, and he had a lot of touring plans that were really really fucked up because of it. And then yeah. uh, uh, Greg Laronier is another one. Uh, this a Swiss. Swiss songwriter that's based here now. And I, I mean, a lot of those guys are sort of similar in the sense that it's like they're, they maybe come from, they came from a background of, you know, like that hot water music thing or whatever. And then are trying to sort of figure out a way to maybe push those boundaries a little. Yeah. And and I'm really, I'm really honored that they asked me to help. So, so yeah, I mean, those three, those three artists are great. Yeah. So, uh, shifting into the kind of second part of this then, uh, like you're a guy that has been touring and playing for like a long, long time. And generally I think maintains a pretty crazy touring schedule. Um, how have you adapted to COVID? Like that has obviously like changed probably, uh, your whole life, a whole ton, but like, what has that looked like? Yeah, it's changed. I mean, it's changed everything. I, I, I just, I've tried to, to, to just like, uh, rechannel the energy into recording like that's pretty much 90 percent of what i do now is is just is writing and tracking in this room and uh trying to really take advantage of of the availabilities of people of other musicians um and uh take advantage of of the willingness that all those people have to play right now for sure yeah and uh not in an exploitive way but it's like uh you know when when we were making guts, for example. It was like there was a couple songs where we were like, "Fuck, it'd be so great if we could get like a full string section in here," uh, you know, because it's like we've got some money, we've got a budget, you right? Know, we got, and then it, the clock just keeps ticking in the studio, and you you sort of like, eventually, it's, time just kind of runs out, and or people aren't available for the when you need them, and you run out of money, and then you're like, uh, no matter how happy you are with the record that you made. Um, it's also just sort of the record that you that you sort of got, right? Like you right. sort of the record you have to settle settle for. And and now, uh one good thing that's come out of this is like the time is just of no object and money is just of no object right, right now. Like no one is doing anything. So people are chomping at the bit for for music to make. You know, I mean I, I know I do it for people, like Yeah, yeah. Um like I'm, I'm, I'm working on a record right now, uh, with Danny miles from July talk, a co- like a couple records that him and I have been doing just remotely. He's got this hip hop project, uh, and he'll send me, you know, like two or three stems a day. And I try to turn them around and have stuff played on them, you know, within an hour or two hours. Like yeah. I just, I, I just, I have that, there's that immediate, um, you know, immediate sort of creative response that, probably I never would have had the chance to do had I been on the road, first of all. For sure, yeah. Uh, but also, like, you literally can't play with people. So you you want to have the most, like, sort of kinetic uh, or immediate reaction to what it is that someone's creating and asking you to be a part of. Because it's the closest thing you can get to sort of jamming right now is, is like, I can't, I can't go to Danny's house and, and set up my shit and play in a room with him, but it's like he can send me a song and as long as it's like it's it's done as quickly as possible there's there's a bit of that energy and spontaneity that's being captured that we for sure that we would otherwise be able to do together so that's been good have you found that like adapting to this new kind of style of collaboration has actually changed the way that you are like approaching writing new music 100 percent. yeah i mean like again like what we were talking about before right is like uh i was an artist that I, I was getting certain types of gigs i was being put in front of certain types of audiences right. so for for better or for worse i did sort of have to cater to what people that would that would be put in front of me you know below the stage would would have really wanted to hear right and and now i don't really have to do that 
Like I can make any kind of music that I want. And, and, uh, you know, not that I didn't do that before, but there'd just be certain songs that maybe would have made the cut on the record because they'd be easier to play live or easier to show a band or easier to, you know, to, to inject in a set list to fill, you know, another half an hour of music. It's like, right. Uh, I mean, I've, I've recorded hundreds of songs this, this past year. And I think like I've got over eight records worth of material in the can and nothing that went into the creation of this music was, was like, Oh, how's an audience going to respond? Right. And so it was a really liberating thing because it, it taught me a lot about the fact that like, well, I don't actually necessarily have to be some like rocker. Like you do, you can do whatever you want to do. Yeah. Um, Especially with the, with the, you know, the available, like now it's like, if I do want a horn section on a song, I, I send an email, I send an e-transfer, I make a phone call. And then like a week later, I've got, you know, 19 horn stems in my inbox and, yeah, yeah. and I've got no release date. So I'm not under any crunch time. I'm not under any amount of pressure. It's just like, all of a sudden I've just got a horn section in a song, which is something that like never would have happened in a million years, maybe two years ago. Yeah, yeah. You know, because there's a release schedule and there's a tour booked and you got to start working on promoting something. So like the the utilitarian aspect of all the art now has been sort of thrown out the the window. Now it's like just purely creative. So that's been great. Yeah. You know. Have have you felt like I I know early on in the pandemic there was a lot of like particularly in Canada with people getting serb like this idea of you know, artists are getting paid now to stay home. And so um, you need to treat that like you need to be kind of clocking in, clocking out every day. And... That's that's 100% what I did. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I, gave, I gave myself like a quota of like a, a song a day or something for a while. And then I, like everybody else, I got really spooked when, when Serb ran out and I went and got a job. And then that sort of put a bit of a, uh, you know, a cog in that wheel. But now I'm, unemployed again and so i'm kind of back to that regiment as much as possible right and i mean yeah i think that that's a really that was a really really healthy way of getting me through the initial sort of shock of last year was was treating uh treating that money like it was a grant like a recording grant yeah yeah you know I, i wasn't lazy i i was really productive i i uh i finished a a ton of music a ton of records yeah um I was able to collaborate and involve a lot of other people, like I was saying earlier, that would not have been able to maybe do it because of, again, budget or time. Right. Money was no object. Time was no object. So, like, you know, Julie, for example, she sang on the record. Uh, Misha sang on the record. Uh, You know, I mean, Danny played a bunch of songs on this record. And then that kind of just continued over the course of the rest of the year to now. And it was like, eight more records ready to go. Yeah. Um, and the number just keeps growing. So absolutely, man. It was like, it was, it was, that's 100% how I treated it was as if, was as if I got a grant. It was, it was yeah. no different in my mind. And, and, uh, I'm like living, breathing evidence for, uh, you know, to, to put that whole conservative theory to rest that, you know, a universal basic income is going to make somebody fucking lazy. That's just not what happened. I worked actually really, yeah. really, I worked way harder than I probably would have had I been trying to scrape together money to figure out how to pay my rent when I wasn't allowed to leave my house. Well, too, I, th- I think that's a really great uh, kind of advertisement for the fact that like, yeah, you, you get that money through Serb and then, uh, you know, you can hire, yeah, people to play horns and they get a little bit of that money and Abs- then they absolutely. spend that money other places, right? Like it, it really uh, boosts everybody up quite a bit. Well, and it's one of the things that's often overlooked about, uh, you know, the music industry industry in general is that look look at the, the shockwave on you know, the economic shockwave that not having musicians in vans on the highway playing shows every night is, has done to the power grid and the labor force and the oil and gas industry and all these things, right? Like yeah, musicians, musicians buy guitar strings, they buy food, they buy coffee, they buy gas, they buy like you fucking name it. Uh, that's, those are expenses on tour. Touring is, is really, really, really expensive. Yeah. And, 
and all that money gets injected into other people's jobs or other people's crafts or so it's it's a it's a, a com- completely fair analysis in my opinion yeah yeah you're, you know yeah uh yeah. so knowing that this like this interview is going to come out in a few days it's going to be a really quick uh turnaround um knowing that uh i don't know like what are you what are you working on in terms of like releases coming up i know you put out a single here at the beginning of april yeah we're when i mean we're just trying to keep you know that going i guess i i I think that it's like fairly easy nowadays to sort of make a decision on what music you want to be what music of yours you want to have heard on like the pretty much the drop of a dime like right i've got a I've got a, like a, you know, a record pressing plant in my pocket. Right. And, and, uh, and so I I don't really think it's, it's that like, it's that plan that far in advance, relatively speaking. Like, I think again, we're everyone in my camp is kind of trying to make a point of retaining some sort of kinetic energy and a bit of a, a quality of trying to you know, like create some momentum and, and just yeah. keep moving forward. Cause that's, that's the, that is really the beauty of touring in my opinion is that you're like, you're completely at the whim of your, of the music you're making at any given time. And for that, you're just, you know, you're, you're constantly trying to go towards the next thing. So, yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm working on another book. I'm working on a lot of music. I'm probably going to release another single before the summer. Uh, there's a collaborative record with Holtzkopf right now that's in the can, and we're probably going to start rolling that out pretty soon. Nice. Um, so much shit, but it's all going to probably, you know, reach like a, a bit of a boiling point or whatever the minute we can start touring, and then, and then we'll know when we can actually put out a full length again. So that's really what I'm waiting for is to be able to put out an LP again. Yeah, because I guess too, it's. Uh it's hard to convince yourself to put out something like an LP represents like an enormous amount of work. Right. And yeah, so you want to be able to show that to as many people as you can when it comes out. And that kind of means like touring on it for for me, for for sure. And, and, and really, 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 really wringing the rag as, as dry as you can. Like, because like, like you said, it's just like such an unbelievable amount of money and planning and time goes into uh creating a record like that 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 it's like even if you don't make enough money from selling it or putting it out or whatever to go buy a a fucking house anywhere it's like you still want to do it justice you want to still like give it the respect that it deserves for how much work you'd already put into it yeah so like by the time your record comes out it's not the time to to chill it's like the time to bust your ass harder than ever before and uh right and that's kind of the way that I've, I've thought about a music career in general. Like it's never the time to rest. If you the more time you put into it, the more time you need to keep, you know, the more time and effort you need to keep exerting into putting into it. For sure. Yeah. I, I know I was talking with a friend of mine who's, uh, yeah, got a record that's like done. That is his first like full length thing. And we were chatting about it and it's like, um, I don't think a lot of people realize that as much as it's really, really easy to put a record on the internet and have people hear it, um, even once you have paid for all of the recording of it, um, you still have to devote just a ton of time and money and energy into actually like promoting the record. Like it's going to still cost like thousands yeah. of dollars, right? Sure, 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 sure. Yeah. And I mean, even like, like uh, ex- exactly. And that's why right now putting out singles on Spotify or whatever the, the fuck, it's like you, you can't do any touring. So it's like, I'll settle for that. But despite that, it's like, you know, maybe music's, uh, you know, promoted or consumed in this sort of like expendable way. Even if I've put a single just on the internet that people can stream and get for free, I I'm still like at my computer every day telling people about it or pitching for satellite radio or making people aware that it exists or trying to figure out some kind of way to, to export it that is going to be creative or interesting. It's like, you know, like those are things that I'm doing. Um, that I would be doing anyway on top of the work that I'd be doing, getting in a van and going around right. the world playing shows to people. Yeah. You know? So yeah. I mean, no matter what format you decide to, to, 
to put it, you still deserve to give it the justice that sort of, uh, you know, balances it out on like a, yeah. On a time input output level or whatever. Well, uh, speaking of, uh, promoting singles and such, uh, I think we're getting pretty much to the end of the show. Uh, what song do you want to play? I imagine uh, I, I had kind of guessed we would uh, play and chat about the one you just put out. Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah, that'd be awesome. If we could play April, that would be f- fantastic, man, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I guess, is there anything you want to say about the song? Is there, uh, like, who's playing on this, I guess? Uh, so it features Derek Anderson on Pedal Steel, who, like I said before, is from Edmonton, uh, Edmonton-based uh longtime touring partner and collaborator, songwriting collaborator and and performance collaborator of mine. Uh Connor Ellinger, who's also from Edmonton, he's been my touring drummer now for the past two years, I wanna say, two or three years. Uh Cormac Culkeen from Joyful Joyful. And yeah. uh and it was mixed by Laurie Matheson, who's based in Calgary. So lots of Albertan yeah, uh, yeah. connect connections. Perfect. Well uh this is, uh, this is a song called April. It's by uh, Eamon McGrath. Uh, thanks so much. Uh, thanks so much for sitting down and chatting. It was a real pleasure. Yeah, thank you. Have a good one.
When I got nothing on my mind. Inside the Artist Studio is produced by Sean Davis Newton for the Cups and Cakes Network. The featured track, April, was played with permission from Eamon McGrath. Thanks to Laundry Week for the use of their song, Nothing On My Mind, from the Grimpy EP as our intro and outro music. Inside the Artist Studio is one of the many ways the Cups and Cakes Network highlights Canadian music. Visit our website, cupsandcakespod.com, to browse our audio, video, and written content. That's Cups, letter N, cakespod.com. Thanks for listening.